from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Now today, if you're listening to this podcast and you are driving in a vehicle or operating heavy machinery, I want you to just stop the recording right now and just don't listen to this uh, in those kind of situations because it's going to be a sad show. It's going to be a little bit sad. Might be a bit of a tearjerker for some of you. Or you might just leave you mad. I don't know. Whatever emotions you're going to have, I don't want to be responsible for it or read some horrific story of a person having a car crash because they just got, got angry. And because just, their despair was just so great. Just, well, I didn't, want to say, I didn't want to say the despair one because I felt that, no, that was just too egotistical. I went the other route with just the enraged one, mm. which is just as believable anyways. And I'll focus on the rage rather than despair because, you know, you don't want to be too... Uh, melodramatic about the situation. And with that, the sad bit of news that we have to announce on the show is the fact that the good atheist, at least as it is, as it exists to you fans, it will be ending in 2012. It's the last year that we're doing the podcast for money. Uh, that's I, have, I stand in front of you, gods of money, defeated, and I say, no, I cannot continue the idea and actually make a living. I can't do that. So, uh, the only the, I know this sounds weird for a lot of people who are listening, especially the last podcast where you're like, oh, you sounded positive about things. It's true. There is always a need to be positive about things. You kind of have to portray that. Well, uh, you know, we had a lot of conversations about it, and we had a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you talk about them, they sound very positive, and it sounds like you can probably take them and do something with them, and then you sit down to do them, and the cold, hard reality slaps you in the face. And after that, you kind of uh, bow down to the weight of reality. The weight of reality. basically yeah. what you did at, uh, last Saturday. <laughs> is that the Saturday before? It was the, I think it's the Saturday before. And, and to give you a bit of a backstory, folks, I'll try to make it as entertaining as possible. Uh, the the reason I was optimistic at the time was because I was betting on the fact that I would be able to borrow a certain amount of money. It wasn't much. Uh, I won't go into the details of how much, but it wasn't really much. And I felt confident that I could because my credit rating was fairly decent. And I, had f I felt that with uh, prior successes, let's say, in the online world, especially considering how much of a loyal and large fan base I had, surely I felt... This could at least be used as some form of leverage. And I went to the bank with that leverage, and it turns out that there is no leverage in such a thing. It's, uh, it's not recognized as having any value. It, it, the, the weird thing is if I sold my, a, a company that owned web assets, it would be worth something. But the web asset itself has no value, which kind of is a catch-22, if you want, of the online world. Something I had failed to really kind of fully, you know, appreciate and grasp. Yeah, that whole, we're not there yet. Well, as a business venture, we're not there yet. You, where you can have a really successful model and you could say, I need more capital now because I'm at that point where a business needs to grow and take this seriously. And that was not afforded to me. And uh, th that's the cold reality. It's just like, got to go back to work. Now, I think... 
the long-term listeners of the shows will remember a time where I did that. I think it was 2010. Yeah, summer 2010. That was a tough time, man. That was a really tough time. Uh, I came clum to, close to wanting to quit that, but, you know, I had a, a bit of a renewed energy. We had some supporters that still have to remain nameless. They were kind of like, no, we can help you out. You can just sort of, like, pull, a, you know, I guess, a Return of the Jedi moment. You know, you can have your little final victory after moments of hardship. But, yeah, even even in the light of us having actually made a, a, a bit of money from another web venture, it turned out that, you know, it's web money. All of the money that you just sort of like that goes through your hands just sort of melts away with the realities of how much you've actually spent trying to make it. So you're, it's the same way that a person who buys a house realizes that they've not made an investment. <laughs> By the time they sell it, they maybe even owe money. And, and that's the tricky thing of business, man. If you're not a good business person, you don't get that. You live in a bubble of delusion where you think you do, but you don't. And I, I think I had to watch Gordon Ramsay to learn that lesson, man. Gordon Ramsay taught me a few things. <laughs> what, that UK, that UK chef that screams at people? That screams at people. He has a show called Kitchen Nightmares where he'd go into these failing businesses and essentially, like, some of the worst-run restaurants just yell at them until they started doing things his way. And because they were on his show and got, got publicity from that, they were able to survive. But you know, otherwise, the thing that was very noticeable about Kitchen Nightmares is that many of these restaurants were failures for obvious and plain reasons that everyone should see. But they weren't acting on it. Of course, you can sit in judgment of them and be like, wow, I, I, when I see what all the problems are, I can fix them. Well, good for fucking you. <laughs> but the thing is, when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel like those are problems. Uh, you don't recognize them as such, and maybe that's the reason why they happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like it was just the reality of it was just so hard that you didn't, you didn't accept it. And I think that for me, the moment where I realized it was not just that Saturday where the bank basically told me, fuck you, we're not giving you one fucking penny. Uh, and the other realization of how much I had made in 2010, 2011, like in, in real income and, and what I had projected in myself, like in my mind of what we needed in order for me to say this is a viable career. And the problem, I think, came when I just saw the, the limitations of the numbers, like how few people actually uh, there are in the atheism scene, let's say. Like, that if you are a niche in a niche, it's really, really hard to make a fucking living. Like, you're living in a dream world if you think you can. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a comfortable dream world. It's not good. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. You can live there for a little while, but you can't live there forever. And eventually you have to sort of, like, make a decision. Now, for me, that decision was I have to go back to work. You know, I need to go back to the 9-to-5 world and pay off a few debts, try not to be a hobo anymore, and, uh, yeah, like, t take, take assessment of things. Because I really did enjoy what I was doing, it's just that if I recognized that there wasn't really the money that I was hoping there would be, then I have to sort of, like, I, ha I have to pick something that works for me, and that allows me to at least continue to do some of the things that I do enjoy. You know, for instance, I do enjoy podcasting. I do enjoy doing radio shows. But I don't know how much more I can do of it in terms of atheism. Because in the, in the light of all of this, something really f fundamentally changed for me in the atheism scene. Um, some might say that it was the death of Christopher Hitchens. But no, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it, it took place long before that when we did the, the first live podcast at the American Atheist Convention. I felt that was the first sign of trouble. 
where I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> I didn't have that much fun. It wasn't all that much fun. And, you know, the, the, the people that I wanted to meet in the scene, because, the, you know, anytime you're in a scene, part of you does it because you're like, I'm geeking on someone, right? Like, you went into mixed martial art because you were geeking on fighters. You, you liked it, and it gave you a level of access that I don't think any other fan could say that they ever had. Well, with a few exceptions, right? Sure. <clears throat> and I'm like, that's doing it the fucking awesome style. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but fuck yeah, you can definitely take your enjoyment of something and allow you to have unfettered access. But you know, when Christopher Hitchens died, dude, the unfettered access didn't seem as appealing anymore. I'll be honest. It was kind of like the day the music died for me. It's like the last, the coolest man in atheism died, dude. <laughs> like cool... Cooler than anyone I can actually think of. And uh, that was that was a bit of a blow. I thought to myself, I'm not working for a lot of the same reasons anymore. The money's gone. The fucking people I want to meet there are gone. What am I supposed to do? But look, counter to those moments where you start getting like, you know, the jitters of whether or not you can quit or keep going, there is something that sort of like keeps you going, keeps you afloat. And that is the love of everybody that appreciates what the fuck you do. And that is a weird relationship to have. It's like in a relationship with, with uh, something ethereal, but real. You know, it exists out there. It's a feeling that people have, but they don't really communicate it to you. It's just thrown out there and absorbed by nothing because the universe is cruel and recognizes no feelings. <laughs> but they're still real to people that are out there. And if, and if individuals have li listened to the show in the past and said, hey, I made a connection, or hey, you were central to me deconverting, you feel a, a certain weight of responsibility of saying, shit, I need to keep this going. Oh, you feel also a weight of responsibility because we were selling memberships. Well, yes, there is, that, there is the feeling at one point, though, that you're running a Ponzi scheme, and you're like, well, how many years can I promise, and when will I know when I've fucking run out of steam, you know yeah, what I mean? I had to shut down the Ponzi scheme on Fightlinker, too, so I understand completely. When it comes to a point where you just you're like the the work that's necessary to just do podcasts, especially when you mar you marry yourself to two a week, and that's really hard when you know you you want to make the content sound fucking fresh and interesting. Uh, it easier it's easier done when you when the passion is there, but when it starts to 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 dwindle a little bit, or when you start to repeat yourself, which is always my fear, you get to one place where now you're like you have to dedicate yourself entirely to research. Uh, reading all the time and researching like a madman. That's all I would do, really. Uh, day in and day out, I was always doing reading, always researching. Uh, there was always something that I didn't know, some gap of knowledge that I wanted to fill and make it entertaining. But, uh, you know, that said, I mean, every single time you're like, well, I, I can't run on fumes, you know, like a, an off-the-cuff, uh, just doing the show, winging it style. I I ran out of material, I think, at episode 75 or something. Maybe even before then. You can only say so much on the subject before you start, you know, repeating yourself. If essentially, you have to absorb the thoughts of others. And, uh, and fortunately, I think we had a lot of different thoughts that were out there. And we absorbed much of it. I think that if you go back and you listen to all the shows, there is a lot we've said. But it's begun to sort of sound repetitive now. To me, at least. Uh, I'm sure there's always new things being said, but I, f I don't want to be the, the, the record that's constantly skipping. And I think that the problem that people have whenever they're contemplating the end of whatever pursuit they have is thinking whether or not they should just sort of like 
play it out until the it's really quite awful. Until it's been run into the ground. Yeah, run into the ground, especially if you're trying to make money off this thing. I made people right. an offer, right? And now I'm essentially taking the offering away. <laughs> well, this is also why 2012 is a soft absorption of that reality. It, it stems from the fact that, number one, this is not the last show, but this is the last season. And that's kind of an important thing to remember. But I really want to go out with a bang. Uh, and make sure that everything that was un unsaid gets said. So with that, I plan on making at least minimum five more shows. And most of which I would like fan participation to deciding what the topic should be. There will be one that's going to be a mailbag. And I'm going to put it up way in advance. I'm going to advertise it on every fucking medium that I possibly can. Facebook, Twitter, the website, everywhere. I'm going to spam people to shit. But, nevertheless, I promise to answer every single question that I mailbag, even if it takes me all day. No shit. Ask away. Because you know what? This is the, I think that those last episodes is essentially all fan service. And that's what I basically want to do. I want to offer as much fan service as possible to what I think was really a good show. You know, like, I'm proud of Good Atheist. I'm looking forward when I'm not having to sort of produce all the content, to go back, mine the content, find the bonus materials, the stuff that we never put in shows and that I could play again. You even suggested me, like, play these oldies because these are fucking shit that no one's heard because maybe they only heard about you a year ago and you've got four years worth of shows and who's really going to think, oh, yeah, it's still good going all the way down. I think I can wean out the bad ones, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> leave you with the gold. And make it a really fun experience from the beginning to end. Which is something I don't want to lose. I think that there's enough in these shows that... You know. What else needs to be said? Other than the, the, the kind of monotony of news. Which is what we would have basically ended up doing, dude. We would have done like a kind of a news show. Today in the news, something else happens to atheists that should outrage us. And you're kind of like, I don't know how long I can do that, man. I don't know how long I can cover the news. It's depressing, actually. Well, you can kind of break down a lot of... A lot of the general core uh, stories that you're going to hear, which is basically uh, Christian right in America overreacts to stupid yeah. stuff or does stupid things. Uh, people in the Middle East disappoint you once again. Yeah. <laughs> Arab Spring is a bunch of bullshit. Uh, freedom of speech in Britain and, and Europe doesn't really exist. Yeah, it's an illusion. And Africa be fucked. That's basically kind of a nice summary of... I think we can... Oh, oh don't, 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 forget, don't forget kids getting molested. Oh, and no, yes. And nothing being right. done about it. Nothing. Yeah. The statute limitations on these have uh, have expired, and no one wants to raise them because the Catholic Church makes us stink every time you try to. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but these men are innocent, of course. We could make a, a one-page newspaper, if you want, with all those headlines, and it would just kind of repeat ad nauseum. I don't think it would do any uh, anyone any favors. I think there was always an element of the show that was real because I was still passionate about it and still wanted to do it. I don't want to fake it, you know? Like... <laughs> I think everybody will be able to tell. So you've lost your passion. Well, here's what's going to happen. Because I haven't really lost my passion for atheism. I've, I've, I've only lost my passion to, to try to make money on podcasting. Right? That's done. And to another degree, I'm kind of sick of being constrained to making podcasts solely about atheism. And I would like to just record my thoughts on other things. I think that it would be a disservice to consider it an atheist podcast if I advertise myself as such. Uh, because maybe some of the ideas have absolutely like zero to do 
with atheism. It might be about popular entertainment. It about, might be about history or whatever the hell I'm researching at the time. So what I've registered is a website, jacobforte.com, and I'm going to be developing it. I'm going to be showcasing all the stuff that I've done in the past, You know, the stuff that me and Ryan worked on Fightlinker, the stuff that we worked on with Good Atheists in the past, and all these new projects that I'd really like to do. I mean, I'm not done in terms of trying to go out and entertain the masses. But I have given up in terms of thinking that I can do this and make a living with the atheist community. Although, here, here's, here's essentially my swan song, if you want. I do want to finish the book, because the whole reason to start the podcast was to make the fucking book, to write the book, right? Well, question number one, what is the book? What was that fucking goal? The problem is, there was no real goal. It was just, I want to do this until I can write a book. That's a bad fucking sign. And over the years, that fucking a book... Mutated in all number of ideas, right? Like, how many fucking uh, books did I throw at you? Uh, about a dozen. A dozen. At least a fucking dozen. And always was I po positive and confident that this was the one idea. I'm like, this idea is perfect because this book will be okay and I won't feel ashamed of it and I don't think it's going to be a bad book. Fear failure, man. It's very real and it's in everybody. And with me, it just kind of like manifests itself in terms of a book. And then imagine the pressure now of actually having an audience that wants to read it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Before, if I was going to write a crappy book, which technically, if you go and, and gather up all my old materials, you have it. You have a crappy book about nothing that I've written. I am glad that that is under lock and key. And uh, will remain so. But I still want to write the book. And... Uh, I think stepping away at least from atheism and all the stuff that I learned from good atheists is I knew what the book should be about. And rather than make it what I wanted to, to be about, which is essentially, you remember my idea what I, I told about in a few episodes, this whole, holy shit, I'm an ape. I'm like, I'm going to write this amazing book about my strange ideas that I have about the world. And you know, they're strange, but slightly entertaining. And it would be, okay material but it would be all it would be nonsensical at this point I, you know i'm not ready to write it I've, I've always not been ready to write that book well you were figuring that you'd be able to write some sagan-esque uh homily to the universe yeah. and yeah, to existence exactly. and everything else like that and uh at 32 you know thinking i could do that i'm not ready dude i'm not ready i need to write the book that i'm ready to write and I already know what book I'm ready to write. I, I've mentioned it several fucking times, and I've teased about it, and it's the Bible stories. It was the most popular thing that we ever did, was just essentially transcribe the Bible into Jake-speak. And everybody seemed to really like it, and I had right there in front of me pretty much the fucking solution. And what I was talking about before of trying to, you know, secure monies, the idea was just that I was going to continue to just try to eke on with the fucking tiny amounts that I make, but finish that goddamn book. Just finish it, because I think that it could actually do okay. Not, you're going to goddamn retire, <laughs> but it would do all right. And I could finally slay that fucking dragon. It's the book I'm ready to write, and I just need to time to write it. And with that said, I mean, as I go back to the 9 to 5 world, that's the one thing that I want to just sort of finish. Because the, the, the Good Atheist podcast will stop, but writing the book is not. Like, it, it is that dragon that I need to slay. The, the podcast was too easy. It, too distracting, I suppose. And with it gone, if I do nothing, then I know I'll go mad. So instead, I'll write the book. <laughs> 
So good news in terms of those uh, hotly anticipating the book, yeah? Sure. <laughs> well, there's, there's, it's not all grim news, though. It's not like all grim. Like, things will end. Okay, they're not really going to end in the sense that, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're never going to record a podcast again. I mentioned before I'm going to start another podcast. So there's that first. And there's also plenty of episodes that are going to keep coming. I said five. That might be the minimum. There might be a whole bunch more we throw in. And there's also talk among many of the fan base of creating a community, which I was already going to do, but I'm now going to basically make the bare-bones version of what I had planned, but still set up forums and all this other kind of stuff, because people were mentioning that the good atheist is not just me anymore, I suppose. It's kind of like a voice. It's an attitude, if you want. And I think that there's lots of people that have that same attitude. They listen to the show, not because... They were necessarily amused or even uh, instructed by what we said, but merely because my voice echoed their thoughts. And I feel like I've said it long enough and loud enough that people should be able to kind of absorb it and, you know, say it themselves, spread the word if you want. Yeah, I know. It sounded like dangerous parables to religion, but don't worry. <laughs> if I do come back, I'll still be alive. <laughs> I won't be dead. If I'm dead, trust me, I'm not coming back. That's and then if you come back again, you won't slay everybody. That's true. I'm not coming with a giant sword or, or to kill anyone. I'm coming back with a book. And if it can do well enough, then I would love to just continue this whole adventure. But I, I can't support it on podcasts. And, you know, when I, when I really sort of did the calculation, thought to myself, I'd like to one day have a family. That's not possible when you're in a young ideologue that's essentially running on fumes. Like that, That's got to end, right? I don't want to live... In a shack down by the river. That is not my ideal lifestyle, sir. Not my ideal lifestyle. Now, with that said, with all the sadness out of the way, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, specifically uh, the, the death of Hitchens that we touched on last time. Because uh, I think it's there's the, the one lesson that I learned from Hitchens is that, and especially when I was reading his biographies, it, I, I think it takes a while to be a really interesting person. You know, Hitchens was great because he had lived so many experiences and learned from them. But I'm sure if I would have met him when he was in his 30s, I would have punched him in the face. I probably thought he was some cocksure idiot giving away his passport to go live in Cuba with, uh, you know, the revolutionists and stuff. Not the wisest move. I would have thought that this man is foolish. But, you know, I, I suppose that the whole purpose of becoming an interesting human being is having interesting experiences. And and I feel that the experience of Good Atheist really did do a lot to make me grow as a person, honestly, at the end of the day. That, I you know, four years of it felt like going to, 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 to university, really, honestly. Every day was like a new class. Because when, uh, when you start worrying about the shit that comes out of your mouth... <laughs> Or you know what? You got everything just like university. Uh, you have nothing worthwhile to show for it That's afterwards true. except That's for true. debt. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I sent a link on Facebook about this article that said that 17 million Americans have degrees and are working at uh, jobs that don't require these degrees. You think to yourself, 17 million, you know that whole promise, go to school, go to college, get a job? Well, you know, they're right about getting a job. It will definitely get you a job because that's the minimum requirement now to just basically hold them up. Be like, here you go, Mr. Janitor Man. Do you have a PhD? Excellent. I hope that uh, you'll be using some of those 
interesting esoteric moments to go into a fantasy land when you're cleaning a toilet full of shit. Yeah, maybe you can use some of that uh, science knowledge to keep the pH in the toilets from stinking up the whole bathroom. <laughs> if you put a little bit of baking soda in those toilets, you really do a lot. No, I don't know. I'm just fucking... Is it even acidic? What's the deal with the urine? Is it base or It just smells. That's all I know. All right. I ain't getting more into it. <laughs> I can become a urine expert. Ur- for, the uh, purpose, yeah. for the purpose of this joke? <laughs> I'm a urinologist. I study... Urine. Well, there are people that study poo in their lives. I don't know what they're called. Copperologists? I don't know what Oh, they're. back in the day, doctors used to take a flask and you pee in the flask. That was like the main thing. The first thing you did when you got to the doctor. You tasted you, it. You, no, you just pee into the flask and he holds it up to light and he looks at it, checks out the sediment, looks at everything that's going on. No, but I mean medieval doctors would taste your urine to find out what humor you had. What service? I know, well, I mean, remember what they used to drink. I'm sure urine was refreshing. <laughs> when you're drinking pond scum, yeah? Well, if you're drinking out of shit cisterns and stuff like that. There you go. Probably not the cleanest, fucking most delicious water. Mm. Anyways, uh, yeah, the doctors, they used, to test your, they used to taste your urine to find out if you had uh, different humors, like if you were Flemish or sanguine. And they associated all kinds of bogus bullshit to these types of humors. That's why when somebody asks you, are you in a good humor? Humor is... From those that fake medical bullshit that medieval morons used to believe in. Hmm. So yeah, good humor. A little fact right at you. See, another reason why I don't want to quit podcasting. Facts are great. <laughs> so you can share fascinating stories about people drinking pee. Yes, I believe that I have many, uh, many a tale of this. We people have gone to that pee. well many times. <laughs> Fortunately, I've never actually drank from that well. Although I will tell you that when I was much younger, uh, there were people that tried endlessly to convince me to pee on my face. I had terrible acne. It was it was really quite bad. It was awful. Oh yeah, it's awful. I still have the pock marks on my cheeks to prove it. I don't look quite as bad as Seal, you know. Well, no, I thought Seal had crazy scars. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, you're he not had quite scars. as bad as uh, what's the J- Edward from- James Olmos. There you go, yeah. Battlestar Galactica boy. Yuck. He's the reason why HD should not happen. Let me tell you what. His face is really like uh, the craters of Mercury. It's awful. Anyways, yes, I was a crater face myself. And uh, in, in the desperation of the times, there were people that would just say, like, suggest all manner of bogus cures. And you're in mu- ranked high among them. You know, people used to do that with their warts and shit. And uh, let me tell you something. It's too smelly. No. You want to rub that on your face, man? I was desperate, but never really quite that desperate on my face. And this is this is a young teenage boy that thought, I'm never going to get laid. Like, how can you perceive the future when your face looks like Pizza Face from uh, Spaceballs? You know, when I watched that movie, I felt his pain. <laughs> and when somebody ate something that almost that fell off of him and I was eating pizza at the time, I almost barfed. Honestly, I did. <laughs> was it an outrage? No, no. Shared outrage? No, I was eating pizza and I was like 12 years old, man. You eat pizza and you're 12 and pizza face? That scene with pizza face? And you're going to tell me that you're going to eat pizza again. I'm not, I'm not familiar enough with the film to remember specific scenes from it. Okay. Well, I have the unfortunate horror of, of uh, keeping things in my mind like a fucking picture. You know, I even know what the scene looks like now. And I haven't seen this movie in 20 years. It's depressing. 
So the death of Hitchens affected me in, 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 in two ways. Number one, there was the fact that he was dead, which meant that I would never meet him so that all the fucking work, hard work that you try to do to say, I'm going to get some reputation in this scene so that I could basically not just shake Christopher Hitchens or take a fucking picture with him. That's stupid. That's dumb. Why don't I do that with a statue of him? It might, might as well be the fucking same experience. Now, I'm talking having a prolonged conversation, which uh, was, you know, where he didn't feel like he was doing me a favor, maybe. Working towards that goal. That just, like, ripped right out of your hands. Gone. I, I mean, I wasn't even hoping when he was sick, but I just thought that this man seemed to be beating it. It was amazing, as, like, as long-lived as he was, when he was still doing debates. Jesus Christ, I don't think I'm that tough. Really don't think I'm that tough. Yeah, well, they forged on for quite a while. Yeah. And, he, and, and, and even when they were saying, oh, yeah, they were been scraping his throat with a radioactive hot rod, and he's still talking? Like, what? What? But, I mean, the demons of Christopher Hitchens had, uh, had pretty much been at work for how long? <laughs> Decades. You know, Jack Daniels and Philip Morris definitely did all the damage. And it was fucking permanent. I think that we were all in denial about its permanency. And I suppose I was. But uh, the severity of his death... Yeah. I think it did affect me. I, I think it just it affected me in that sense of saying, like... Everything that I thought we were working towards. Like, the size of the atheism scene and everything about it. I'm like, we can do this. But when the voice was lost... And, you know, I kept on searching to see who can be the new voice... I, I was kind of a little depressed from the whole thing. I'm like, I think that the scene needs to mature a little bit more. But I do too. There's more maturing that needs to be done. 32. I'm not even 32. I'm 31. Well, I'm going to be 32 this year. And uh, I think that in wisdom years, it's pretty young. When do we When do we start to become wise, honestly? Uh, never. Well, maybe maybe there's a time, but I suppose I can understand why the elders used to be a pretty fucking important thing. You know what I mean? Age does bring some degree of wisdom. Shit, I feel stupid from just two or three years ago. Is that going to continue on? I feel like it's an embarrassment if it does. There must be a time where you just feel like, I've hit a wisdom wall, maybe. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those things when you're a kid and you look at adults and you think that they're so serious and wise and everything else. Then you become an adult and you're dealing with kids and you realize you're just putting on a little show. They're not getting the real... Immature, idiot, unwise, stupid, stupid teenager that never grow up. Yeah, they're yeah. getting uh, they're getting that aspect of you that you're projecting towards them of of wise wisdom and everything else like that. It's a, it's a, it's a complete it's a complete charade. I suppose eh? it's uh, maybe it that always, creates an anxiety in us, don't you think, Lo? I mean, like, do we do we crave an impossible wisdom? Like, and or or, or does that only make us more anxious to the fact that we're not there yet? I think that humans will always be driven forward by our neurotic uh, tendencies towards self-doubt and uh, and thinking that we haven't figured it out or that we're not like everybody else, even though everybody is just as messed up and confused as everybody else. Well, we are pretty much carbon copies of one another. It's It's kind of like why I've always been disdainful of this idea that any one person is, you know, of higher intelligence than anybody else. I think that like... Two twins separated birth and living in different environments look entirely different. It's going to have an effect on the rest of your body. It's going to have an effect on your mind, you know? Like, if your mind is sharp, then there there was something definitely about the environment that contributed significantly to that. It's not, I feel, mostly genetic. Is this a Jake theory or is this true? 
This is well. This is the this is the controversial theory of nature versus nurture, which continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would tell you the reason why I think that culture is even more important than we realize is a kind of recent example that I saw in Scientific American. There was a there was a uh, an article about a kind of spider that that they were basically showing videos of other spiders dancing. And noticing that the spiders were adapting their dances according to these other spiders, right? Now, that doesn't sound like it should be very relevant to human culture, but I'm like, it says everything that you need to know, especially when they found that spiders that were born in captivity didn't possess the ability to take those cultural traits. There was something about the environments that was so artificial that they couldn't be spiders, right? They just, there was something that we took away from them, and they weren't able to adapt to this new dance, or do anything uh, of the sort. There were like pandas that couldn't fuck in captivity because they just didn't get the subtleties of panda dating. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the mood was all wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking definitely all wrong. And, and when you think about the importance of culture, let's say, in pandas or fucking spiders, to mate, to be able to prosper and fucking pass yourself on genetically, you realize that ability to adapt to culture, to adapt to its, your environment, is the most important thing. It's so important, in fact, that the, the new scientific evidence we have a, a ter- towards evolution is that during your lifetime, an almost Lamarckian fucking quality uh, occurs where essentially you your, your genes will change according to the environment. You know, it... it even and and your genes will therefore be changed when you pass them on. This is epigenetics. This is pretty fucked up. This is kind of like, oh my god, the environment really does influence you. And what creates a significant portion of our environment as human beings? Culture, right? Huge, man. It plays such a fucking vital role in in our development. It may even play a role in our genes. I think that's part of the reason why we've become more peaceful as a society. You know, I think that cultural pressures lead to more peace. Just as the function of that kind of evolutionary pressure, sort of culture is a kind of form is a form of communication, and we've developed an immense form and uh, and like all kinds of ways for that culture to be transmitted. Virtual Rosetta stones of music and art, literature, everything you can possibly imagine, and you're just seeing the fucking tip of it. You don't even get it. You're still at that stage where Google Translator is getting it wrong. I mean, you're gonna, we're going to get to a stage where it doesn't get it wrong anymore. Where maybe even the subtleties of language can be translated. So that those elements that you miss when you read a Chinese poem that you can't fucking understand unless you're Chinese maybe become evaporated because we become better communicators. Fuck, that's a future that I look forward to. That's one I'm just trying to fathom now, but that's what we're building. Slowly. Well, it always kind of bugs me how... I mean, I love internet memes, and I love the fact that meme as a word really went out to the wider base of people because of internet memes but people ignore societal memes in the way that society is constantly beaming memes an idea anytime you're at school anytime that you're at work anytime you're around other people there are all these all these memes that are passing around about what is appropriate for what where you are and what you're doing at that point in time that you need to kind of follow well i think that if you have maybe part of that reason is you look at there, there, we'll, we'll, we'll speak meme for a second. Let's look at the meme of individualism, which I would say is, is, is a meme that runs contrary to most other memes, right? The idea of individualism is, is, is kind of contrary to the, the type of Borg-esque, if I can use the word, 
uh, uh, quality of most types of culture, right? They, they kind of impose a soft form of homogeny where everything's got to be the same. It, it's, it's passive, but it just happens. It's kind of the same way that even in the ancient world where they didn't have television or anything like that, uh, you know, sort of exiled Jews living near the influential Greeks started being Greek. You know, and, and even their strong religious ties started to evaporate amongst the greater pull of a, of the culture, just because it had it had its appeals, didn't it? It appealed to people. Oh, so, like what the appeal of going with the flow and not being crushed? No, yeah. no, no, no. At the time, a Hellenistic culture appealed people in different for different reasons. Number one, it was just kind of viewed as you know intellectual or beautiful. It's kind of like the same way that in our society, beautiful is associated with pretty and white and tall. Right, that has an influence in other cultures, by the way. Sure, it definitely does. Uh, but if the standards of beauties were different, it would have pressures in other cultures as well. So it's just imagine if the dominant culture at the time, which is Greece, which is sort of like the intellectual capital of the world, right? You know, at this moment, where you have all these other sort of disparate cultures that are struggling to maintain their xenophobic ideas about how they should manage themselves, and meanwhile you have a cosmo, the cosmopolitan Greek. Which I know we're we're still talking the idealized versions where we're ignoring slavery and shit, but trust me, it was no big deal back then. It's just kind of like it was refreshing, new, but powerful, powerful because you know as much as there was yes a militaristic aspect to it. Trust me, there weren't a lot of people that were fighting and you know biting and screaming at the new culture and being able to do uh, cool shit. You know, going to the gymnasium was really popular among guys. Like imagine that in one area you have. Kind of, oh, you're a young man, you've got to study the Talmud. Well, that sounds like fun. Or, young man, you get to go fucking wrestling and just try to prove yourself with somebody else and get physically fit and have fun. Yeah? The appeal of the kind of, of that kind of pop culture. It was Greek pop culture at the time. It was the latest thing, man. It was like the Beatles. You know? We, we just, we view history from the aspect that it's written in concrete and in stone, but it's just contemporary. It would be the same way that it is here if just the, the same pressures were applied. It's just a different time, man. But still, Greece was like American pop culture, dominating, you know. And it think about the influence that it had through through time. And and you know, like history is just essentially a series of dominating cultures. And you their rise and falls has has a lot to do with the general appeal of that culture and the strength of that identity. You know, if the identity was weak, like. Empires don't rise and fall. They sometimes sort of like meld into one another where one, at, one element sort of takes over the, the other. You know, you look at ancient Sumerians and ancient Akkadians. They didn't go like Sumerian, 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 boom, Akkadian. You know, sort of like there was a bit of interplay, but eventually the Akkadians were just cooler and their culture was dominating. So everyone was like, we want with these guys. And Sumeria was no more. Culture vanished. Poof. They took all the elements they wanted from it. And then it was just basically like, we're erasing you from history. <laughs> That's the flow of history, my friend. Fucking scary. But yeah, individualism as a meme flies against that fucking construct. And, and I think that that's kind of... We find ourselves where uh, a construct of individualism is appealing, but it's, it's contra contradictory to the, to the society, the, the, the pressures of uh, social homogeneity. Does that make sense? Sure. It's uh, kind of that idea that... Uh, I think we've talked about this in other shows in the past, the idea of you know, talking about kids in school... And the pressures that they feel, I mean, bullying, uh, when you look at it, is just kids basically trying to impose a certain set of behaviors on each other through brute force. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, so, and if you well, not just with... brute, psychological, because the girl version is uh, wah, scarring, my friend. I'm sure it is. <laughs> like where they, where um, you know, they they develop rumors about certain girls to try to, and and you know how rumors are, like the power of gossip, my friend. They destroy reputations. With guys, it's like it's much more physical. It's much more of a, a kind of. Uh, you know, beatings or or shovings or pretending you're gonna punch someone in the face, mm-hmm. scaring them. Yeah, don't wear a pink shirt. Don't be too weird. Don't do this. Don't do that. And yeah, and and, and becoming different, if you want, is is a way of becoming noticed uh, in the wrong ways most of the time. But I mean, uh, the, the the simple the simple answer uh, to getting along easier is to just go with that flow. Accept what society is trying to beat you down into. And overall, in the long run, you might even be happier. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying that the reality of the situation is the world is the way it's going to be. And if you go against the grain in certain ways, you're just not going to win, quote unquote. Well, that's very true. I mean, I had you have to a, accept the fact that you're going to be outside of that. I had a bit Maybe. of a humbling lesson that way. You know, just hey, you didn't play society's rules. Now we're going to bitch slap you back down to fucking, uh, I'm, I'm not even at home base. Where am I? <laughs> I, I? I don't even want to contemplate, but that's the, 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 you're right. It's, it's kind of, if you just give in to that big societal, I don't know, blanket, you know, like the blob, just be like, just be a drone, right? Go to school, do get good marks, go to university in your chosen profession, get a job, get married, have kids. Raise them well. <laughs> Die. The end. Don't make a big deal about it. <laughs> you can have one line in the obituary and that's about it. Don't go out with a shooting spree. Not acceptable. <laughs> but to a certain degree, a lot of those society... I mean, the funny thing about it is a lot of that societal stuff is no longer true. The promises of of going with the flow and what they'll give you are no longer true because there's a lot of people, uh, their path, their go with the flow will never lead them up to the level of success that they need to live happy lives where they can raise their family in a productive and, and reasonable environment. The uh, So to that degree nowadays, I mean, if they say that it's uh, stable societies need stable citizens, well, a fast-changing society needs fast-changing people. And I don't think we've quite... We haven't caught up. We haven't. I mean, you go to school and they've got, what, like eight different general courses that you take for 12 years? Or, uh, sorry, eight years? Well, I've complained about this and I even have a word for it. It's technological traditions, right? Where we just have this technique that we have of distributing and teaching information. We call it school... And while it's had a few changes, it's pretty much the same fucking pattern that was designed during the Enlightenment age. You know that that age where they wondered if slavery was still acceptable. That's who designed your your school, like the the, the system of education you have today. It always kind of pissed me off watching like an episode of Little House on the Prairie and seeing how the school was, how basically I was sitting in the exact same classroom with the same fucking desk and the same setup with the teacher up front and the blackboard. What year is this? <laughs> Blackboards. <laughs> I mean, sure, they took us into the computer lab once in a while to play that mouse game. Oh uh, man, no, you mean the turtle one? Did you logo? Have that? Was it logo? Was it called or? No, Cubase? No, that's not it. Anyway. Some old-ass shit. You know, Chris makes fun of me every once in a while where I talk about computer courses in Windows 3.0. 3. 3. 
Where you're like, yeah, what a waste. No, when 3.0, if you use an Apple IIc, that's that's pretty awesome. No, my or school DOS. my school knew the future, man. They trained us for Windows. That's none of this Mac shit. Mm. They were like, well, the well, this was pre-Mac. <laughs> I know, but Mac sales are still not hasn't they haven't beaten PC sales quite yet. Mm. They're still just they're still for people who have lots of money. It's with a cater to, dude. <laughs> So how do we feel about the, 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 the kind of absorbing or, or sort of falling into the, the pressures of society, let's say? As, as, well, I, I would say, for one, that the lessons that I kind of learn from what I try to do is that if you're willing to dedicate yourself to something for long enough, you could, you could pretty much do it. You can develop the kind of skill that you needed to do it. It was amazing. I, I do really generally agree with um, Malcolm Gladwell's idea that there's a, there's essentially a certain amount of hours you can put to something in order to be really good at it. I don't know if you've ever been great at it, but I think you can get really good at it. And I don't, I don't think I had that before I did Good Atheist. Like, I, I, the most time I ever devoted to a project was probably like two months. And that was the most. I mean, like, Ryan will testify to the fact that I normally get interested in something new every other fucking week. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm famous for that shit. And yet I did this for four years. Five by the time that tw- you know, 2012 rolls around and Good Atheist finally sort of like you know, makes its last show probably since I'm going to drag this bitch out. <laughs> it's going to be slow. What can I say? I'm going to be going back to 9 to 5 in like a week. Well, maybe two. It depends on how long the fucking new job takes to be set up. I'm like, oh my goodness. Waking up at fucking 9 o'clock, man. And that's if you're late. <laughs> It's terrifying. But the world of 9 to 5 offers its comforts. Yeah, no, no longer will I have to be fucking stuck having to choose between, you know, lo- certain luxuries and food. Yeah, 9 to 5 I've never hated. I enjoyed, I, I very much enjoyed getting a paycheck and sitting at a desk and having a very specific set of duties to do instead of just being generally responsible for making a pie-in-the-sky idea successful somehow. <laughs> <laughs> with with my with all of my life and no resources it's like that uh that that is kind of what you end up having to do but the cool thing is though i mean there have been stories internet stories of uh, of people that have really played the same kind of game that we've played and have made it so you know it wasn't really all that uh that crazy when you think about it i and i'm sure that there's going to be lots of people that are going to try it and and probably will make it. I, I just think that in terms of... Like, we're at a stage where the internet adver- monies that you can make on it, it's just, it's just not there. Hundreds of millions of people are on this, and yet no one has recognized its true value. We're still dealing with much of the old rules where people dump money in advertising and television. But the reason why the switch hasn't been made is because every year advertising spends more money and has less effect. Every fucking year. And and you might wonder, why is that? Well, it, partially the reason is because in the new world where people can create content endlessly, there's an endless amount of content that's just kind of coming up. And you might be competing against guys in their basement, i.e. us, for entertainment. <laughs> they have almost no budget, will survive on ramen noodles for, of course, only so long, but still, they represent part of the time that people could be devoting to watching things with commercials and so on and so forth. And I think that that's very scary territory for for most advertising. Read any modern business magazine, they'll tell you all the same thing. Advertising is dying, and it doesn't know what to do about it. 
has absolutely no fucking clue because the the customers of uh, the people on the internet that have been used to uh, things the way they are don't really want it to change. We fear change. We don't like change. Speaking from experience. <laughs> so what are you supposed to do? Like you can either wait in order for people to kind of change their attitudes, which takes a really long time, or something drastic has to happen. That's typically the 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 the, the kind of behavior that we have. I think the drastic thing that will happen is essentially the baby boomers will die. Advertisers will have plenty of money, but not a lot of knowledge on what's going to happen. And the internet's going to be, again, a wild fucking west. That if you have a large audience and people there, they're going to be clamoring at your doors. But that's not going to be for a long time. The baby boomers keep living. Like, we keep feeding them drugs. Making them live forever, goddammit. Because we love them. They're our parents. <laughs> They'll drag the entire system down under the weight of their numbers and illnesses. Under the weight of their love. Under, under the weight of our, of, of our societal impulse to, to eat terrible, processed crap. <laughs> oh, be more hopeful. I'm sure, like, every time I see people doing clever things, because human beings are endlessly clever, I do have hope for the future, man. If you're, if you're really feeling glum and blue, just watch a couple TED hey, videos, and then you'll feel better. Look, I saw a monkey catch a bird in mid-flight, but uh, that doesn't give me hope that monkeys will ever stop throwing poop at each other. So, I know, but they, they have a culture of poo, you know? And they have a very difficult time changing their culture. And you know how normal changes in their culture happen in the monkey world? Through genocide. Or shit you not. Like, there are studies about, uh, is it bonobo monkeys? No. Reusus monkeys? Any some kind of fucking monkey. Where there's a strong tendency for male dominance and no male grooming? Well, it turns out when those goddamn monkeys, aggressive male monkeys, got culled in some kind of great attack, uh, and only the beta males survived, their entire culture changed. Yeah, males were now grooming. This makes the case for atheist genocide. Just, <laughs> just like the, the religious people have always been talking about. I've always kind of wondered. They were like, oh, atheists, they're all about genocide and everything. And now I'm starting to see it. And I'm starting to realize that they had something there. We yeah, should yeah, definitely look into this more. That's right. We, Thank you for ending the last few episodes that we have with your call to genocide. Look, we can do cultural genocide. We can genocide elements of culture that are uh, unredeemable. Okay? I think that there are many such elements in our culture that persist. Like, say, the dancing boys of Afghanistan. It's a good uh, example of a cultural fucking parasite that continues to persist. It's essentially the Muslim nice version of uh, pedophilia. Yeah. It's the Islamic version of it. Oh, so all of those kids that do that, that, that those crazy pole climbing and, and, and positioning things, that, that's like all just a big child rape system? Pole things? I don't know about Is that not what we're talking about? Dancing boys of Afghanistan? Basically... It's just young boys that are essentially called from... Well, not called, but they're, they're basically chosen from early on because of their physical beauty, and they're taught how to dance like girls, but they're boys, and they're molested by rich Afghani men. Okay, yeah. So this is a cultural element that we should fucking genocide. I'm not going to feel bad about genociding that cultural element. No sorry, Bob. And the cool thing is we have uh, culturally genocided more than we really give ourselves credit for. I mean... True. A, a, Slavery. A good, <laughs> well, a good example of this would be uh, just a simple small one would be littering. When we were kids, we were brought up and just inundated with the idea of don't litter. Don't, don't throw things on the ground. And I swear, try this... Next time you go outside, if you're just walking down the sidewalk and, you see, you, and you see someone there, 
take something out of your pocket. It could be a tissue, a fucking chocolate bar wrapper, whatever else, and drop it on the ground in front of them. I bet you anything you won't be able to do it because of the shame associated <laughs> with littering. I mean, dick faces do it, but... By there are there. You know it, what? It's those dick faces quite though, impressive. The, those dick faces are totally like lost causes. Forget about them. Dick faces and smokers. <laughs> oh, yeah, smokers. God, they're litterers, eh? Jeez, <laughs> they, they've managed to escape it all. But it's because their littering is so tiny. Imagine you were tiny littering. No, because it's considered. It's not socially unacceptable to to flick your butt for some reason. Well, it isn't it, because it just, it's it viewed as cool. Number one is because it starts faraway fires. That essentially caused the good guy to win. Or number two, the bad guy puts out the cigarette with his foot in a fanciful fashion because he's about to do something badass. So you wonder why we continue to not view it culturally. Like we haven't done cultural genocide because it's cool, man. Uh, okay. You've got to eliminate <laughs> the cool aspects of it. You've got to make the most uncool person do those two things. And then it will be gone. I don't know who that would be. Who is the most uncool person? I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't actually think about who are the least cool people on this planet. Maybe yeah. that's something I need to start doing. The Finnish. <laughs> don't say that. We've got like two fans in Finland or something. Well, or he might be upset. They're 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 so uncool. <laughs> <laughs> and they play us where they talk weird. <laughs> Go to a real Nordic country, like I don't know. I don't know any others. Are you 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 put yourself on the spot, man? Sweden? Question mark. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> is it higher than uh, Finland? I don't know. I think there are those fingers, but I'm not sure. Geography was not one of my strengths. Wow. Well, I'm not going to say anything about it because I've been embarrassed in the past. Although I have plans to just try to rectify my lack of geographical knowledge. I, I embrace it. I am stupid about a lot of stuff, and I'm perfectly okay with it. I don't need to know everything. Well, maybe that's... Maybe that's the difference between you and me. I don't embrace my stupidity. I loathe it. Well, you have to be right all the time, so I can understand. There you go. It's a really powerful desire. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay admitting the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, but everybody's got those things where they just like to be right about. Everyone does. I just, th I, For me, the problem is that it, that's everything. That's a huge problem because I don't know everything. But, of course, I'd like to believe that I do. And that's a belief that I'd like to sustain. Thank you very much. And maybe I can achieve it. Maybe it's achievable. <laughs> and and look at the future, man. They're coming up with better drugs all the time. Maybe I can live for like two or three more hundred years and get my real crazy knowledge on. Jeez, that's all I'd really care about. I mean, you know what I... Here's the thing. Here's what I loved about the early days of, of doing The Good Atheist and charging money. I felt like a modern-day stoic, dude. Because if you think about it, I would go around preaching rhetoric for money. It was like I stepped into a time travel device where I have unlimited ability to distribute, unlike those poor stoic bastards who would basically walk from town to town. Of course, they're in the Mediterranean. It's not exactly, like, fucking cold down here. If I do that here, I'd be Yeah, dead. but then there's also, uh, I'm sure it wasn't safe going, true. traveling Marauding like that. And then bandits. having to worry about being stoic about something totally not cool in the other village. Like, you go there and... Uh, a bad stoicism? Yeah. You, you, your, your stoicism consists of... Uh, the Jets suck, and you're in Jetstown? <laughs> oh, no. Watch out. It's true, and you know what? Early days of rhetoric must not have been that great. I mean, it's, it's the early days of coming up with a crafty defense to put your opponent in uh, in a jam, but it's not, it's not based on rules of logic, man. This is before that shit. This is just kind of like, hey, I came up with a really good argument. Use it. Pretty much like, this is a clever way to tell your opponent to shut up. It's kind of like, I'm a mirror and you're glue. That's what the early Stoics were all about. Mm. But you know... We're trying to invent shit. And back then, every little thing must have been brilliant. 
It's like, think about it. There was a day where the wheel was brilliant, where someone's like, holy shit, that does something that I can't quite describe because there's no word for it. It's fucking amazing. It goes from one place to another almost effortlessly. What do you call it? I don't know. The whizzlewaggle? Hmm. Name pending. <laughs> there was a time where everything was novel. And actually, that's true for us, too. As babies, everything was no- novel. Now, it kind of like, how much of it is, has lost its novelty? And how many people are still seeking for novel experiences endlessly? Well, here's a, here's a stoic mindfuck question for you. How many episodes of Atheist Podcast do you have to make before it's no longer novel? That's a good fucking question. I would say 250. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just about that number that I hope to kind of round it out because I think that is a respectable amount of motherfucking shows to record. 250 podcasts. Yeah, that, that's where kind of like I'll side with you. You know that I haven't completely agreed with everything as far as your decisions for everything because I, I have my own views on what I think that you could probably accomplish with all this. But to a certain degree, I understand that, uh, you know, after X amount of years and X amount of shows... You should be able to just be like, there we go. And that's reasonable. Well, I just want to end it while things are going to be really good. You know, where I'm not bitter at things. Because I know that if I go back to work... I don't know. You might be already just, a little bit bitter. I'm not bitter. And trust me, if I would have recorded the show the day that I decided that I was not going to do it, this would have been much more bitter. Like, I've accepted the fact that the show needs to end. I mean, like, it was really hard for me to come up with that decision. But the not getting that financing was like that final straw where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And for me, like, really, when it came down to it, I did have two options. I'm like, I can go back to work and do one more thing. Is that going to be the podcast or is that going to be the book? And I know that the book doesn't exist, except for in my mind right now, but I need to get it out of there. And I I feel like everything else wouldn't even matter until I had it done. Like, even if I decided to keep doing the book, I mean, the, the, the podcast, if I didn't do the book, then I just feel like I was treading water. Like, I need to get this thing out of me. I had hoped that I could basically manage to do the podcast on the side as a way of supplementing money that I'd still borrowed. Because this was still an idea of borrowing money, man. I was going to sort of lay it down, like put the fucking chips down and say, yeah, I'm going to go for it. So I was pretty serious about it. But obviously, the financial system saw my business plan and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> you can't have any money. <laughs> Get out of this bank. Um, that wasn't the exact conversation. I'm much more polite about it. Send you a nice email. Uh, yeah, so I just had to sort of abandon that idea. But I'm not, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter about it. I, I think that the first thing is that the, the, the niche scene of atheism is too small. And if it obeys the same market rules that every other niche does, which it unfortunately does, then you have to kind of like just accept that. Like if, if people spend the same amount of money on their atheism as they do on yoga mats in a year, then, you know, I'm sorry, you just sort of like, it's not, it's not big enough of a market. Like when I, when I really did the number crunching, because when you were saying, just keep doing the podcast, and I did the number crunching of how much we would need to make those numbers. And the problem is that even the most popular show has only half those numbers. Well, I mean, my whole statement was, uh, it's a piece of the entire pie. And on top of that, you just build the Jacob Fortain empire uh, in a number of creative ways. It wouldn't be easy. Uh, but I, I know, they, but I, I don't think I can juggle those many balls. There's still I just need to finish the book, and it is really when I when I decided that I was going to stop doing shows, and I felt the kind of pressure come off of me. Working on the books actually been much more enjoyable 
Because I don't feel like I need to rem remember everything that I've written because it's going to be a show tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't have that. I don't have that kind of particular pressure. And and I felt too like I've, I'm always really particular about the shows that I put up. There's lots of times where I have not put up shows that we've recorded and things like that because I'm just like it's not good enough, and and I don't want to hear this show or assume that the show was out. It maybe it wasn't even a bad show, but it didn't pass muster because I just. You know, it's not just an element of pride, you know. For me, it's also, it's partially a product. I'm not going to put out something that I'm not happy about. It's like, if you were designing handbags and your handbag sucked. That's not the only thing that popped in my mind. Sorry, I don't know why a handbag popped. Is there not a better example? Does anything Sure, sure. Well, remember, there was, there was a run of shirts that we did for my website once. And we got them. And the color of the shirt and the color of the ink basically made the ink invisible on the shirt. Oh, so we yeah. had a bunch of those. dark blue shirts with black writing on them, and they were completely invisible. And what were we going to do with those? Were we going to sell them? I think I sold three, and I was like, no more. And so now we have like 50 <laughs> of them just sitting there. I've got, I've got an infant number of navy blue shirts with some very dim writing on them. <laughs> Here's what you do. You keep washing it until the writing comes right off. Sell them as uh, sort of grungy shirts. Oh, they're my gym shirts and my my layabout shirts. So I guess it worked out. You have a whole lifetime of uh, of, of shirts that way. Yep. Well, fan fucking tastic. See, don't exactly want that. An entire lifetime of products blow. <laughs> <laughs> but that you know that was the other thing that was kind of hard. You know, releasing products. It sounds easier than done. You know, especially when you're like. What you know? How much effort actually goes into creating a product? I have a lot of respect for people who do because it's not just the effort required, but it's also you know you're putting a piece of yourself out there. That is hard, man. Like anybody that does that already. Well, this is this is why this is why I say don't abandon talking because you're really good at talking. Well, I'm not going to abandon talking because again I mentioned the fact that I'm going to have I'm going to maintain a podcast. So I'm going to talk about shit, but I don't want to have the pressure of trying to make a great atheism show because it's not going to be a great atheist show. It's just going to be Jacob Fortan's podcast. It's for those people that have listened and that are just like I don't want to really abandon you even though you're abandoning atheism because I mean, I it happens anyways. Most of the, a significant portion of people who were listening to us in the beginning have not continued to do so. Like, how long are you going to stay in the scene? Even you listeners, you know, you 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 kind of go through uh, this ordeal where you get into it, you're really passionate about it, and then it tapers off after a little while because, well, fucking shit happens. Whatever, life happens. Other interests happen. New friends happen. Life fucking happens. And uh, you know, I hate to think how many people might abandon the atheism scene uh, alongside with me if I was the last fucking remnant of what they were listening to sorry I will, hopefully someone will come around and fucking you know fill that but just understand the gap. fact that for 95% of atheists uh, atheism isn't some kind of central philosophy that no. they need to that they need to engage on websites and through podcasts and this and that it's just a, a belief that they have that comes up from time to time and that's okay. I mean, I've always kind of talked about this with the atheism scene where we have this hardcore group that only cares about the hardcore group and does things for the hardcore group and how we need to kind of go out and and present atheism to the casual people in a way that's neither obnoxious or just builds it up into something bigger than it needs to be. Well, I, I, I think that in the future... My my main goal is to take everything I've created so far 
and really arrange it in a way that makes sense. Like, for instance, I think it's stupid that when you go to the site, you can't see, say, all the interviews I've done in one shot. I've done quite a few, but I'm sure most people don't even know most of the interviews are fucking dead over the years because, I mean, you'll miss one and, like, who cares, right? You just missed one because it was never really organized in a good way. You just had to keep, I just had to keep producing them. I could never really organize them. This time I feel like I can take my time, go back, mine the, the, the shows that I think are the strongest and really still recommend to you guys, like, if you're sad about this, remember, you still have hundreds of shows to go back. Like, there's a lot of content and listening to it, I bet you you've forgotten most of it. You really have. Like, I have conversations with fans about it. I'm like, what's your favorite rant? I don't remember a single one. Yeah, you can watch it again. You know, I do this with TV shows all the time, and there's tons of stuff that I missed for whatever reason, because I wasn't paying attention, because my I was distracted, or who knows what. They don't just disappear from the ether. But I feel that sometimes when you just continue to produce something, a lot of times you can just take, you take for granted what you've already done. You know, when when 30 Rock stopped for a long time, I went back and I revisited a whole bunch of shows, and I'm glad that I did. Because I forgot how hilarious a lot of it was, because I missed it. Fucking missed it. So many things just went over to my head, and on the second watching, it just like, oh, it's good. I hope I can find that content of mine that's like that. And encourage people to fucking go back and re-listen to shit. Like, maybe this is a good way. I mean, like, well, now you have to. <laughs> well, not quite yet. We still have, you know, a couple of months before this this ha- this happens. But the you, production schedule has always dropped already dropped down to the point where it's like, yeah, you might want to start mining. Yeah, well, the production uh, the, the production schedule was uh, sh- should have been a good clue. Although part of that reason is also because many people are still having problems uh, logging into the site. This DNS issue is just making it so that some people just can't get it. So you would have to just go check out the site. There may be a few that you have missed, by the way. <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, you may have missed a few. Go to the site. Go to the site. I encourage you. Just for now, this is all temporary. And this is all, uh, I guess, I suppose for me, it was like that, that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Because then when you look at the real business of running a website and you realize that every once in a while something like this will happen, you have no control over it, you have no technical expertise in order to solve this problem, and the people that do or can help you are unavailable or whatever. Like, it is really a nightmare. It's, it's kind of like running something that you don't fully understand when you're running it alone. And you can only do that for so long, I think. Eventually, it defeats you. Eventually, the technology, technological problems overcome whatever minimum expertise you could have gained. And it goes from being a solo project to no longer be sustainable as so, such. So this is the, uh, the, the second unfortunate nature of the internet is it becomes more complicated you know ways to fucking market yourself ways to get attention ways to uh, increase traffic it's always evolving it's a huge motherfucking problem it's it is it is the jungle out there <laughs> it's very harsh it's very harsh so do you think that everybody's going to be sad mad glad what do you think I don't know. I know you pissed off a bunch of people because you were basically like, I'm quitting because I didn't make enough money. Fuck you guys. You 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 don't support things. I think we got a, a hell of a lot of support from a hell of a lot of people. Oh, we did. We did. Definitely we did. Uh, the only problem is that there's no way it's sustainable. Like these, the, Even the people that were super generous, some of them I can't name, but other people I can. Like uh, Remember when we had the Andy Scott Brocast Scholarship? Give a whole bunch of money, and then we transfer that into uh, memberships. And uh, and even some of those people that are that are that are members, 
from that scholarship have, have been the ones that have been essentially saying like we want to maintain the community we want to have the you know the, the 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 conversation aspect of it because i think that a lot of people who have listened to the show over the years might find that other people who have listened to the show uh are probably much like them <laughs> i've cultivated a group of listeners that have similar thoughts and interest people and uh and i'm hoping at least my my quote unquote swan swan song as i leave the the podcasting uh, uh you know sort of element of good atheist is at least to be able to leave the community uh, element and grow on it, uh, and grow it cuz it did exist in a very subtle way it did exist and i think that if i give it a home at the very least it will uh make people not hate me so much maybe well, i don't think that you would say i would say that there's hate a lot, a, a yeah. hate or anything no. like that like disappointment it, it, in your in your standard uh semi offensive way you might have peeved some people off but well, i think it, i hit a nerve i think any time a person will overreact is because you've said something that might be slightly true in their eyes and there's no better way to get a person to fucking flip out than to hit a nerve now when i said cheap cuz when i said like basically i can't make money out of this people are cheap i think from my perspective i had viewed I viewed it in the same way that I viewed, say, the way that religious people take care of their own, right? Where I'm like, if we're going to compete against these guys, we have to basically play by their rules. And I felt like we weren't ready to do that. But I don't want to be the fucking guy to tell everybody, you got to be more generous, because what the fuck does that... I feel like quite, you know, like Don Quixote here, fighting against windmills. I mean, this is something that's just part of... Like, it's not existent in our culture. We don't know how to do it. It could take... A long time for that to happen and you know just came into it a bit too early a little bit too early but I think that if we get to that point people will recognize that you know with with a lot of the early people that are doing podcasts and shows like good atheist is not the only atheist podcast to 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 to, to stop there's a couple of others that are I think skeptics universe or I, I don't I don't know which one skepticality or whichever there's a couple others uh, a couple sites also that stopped over the years and uh, and really, it's only just a few people that have remained. That have remained. This happens in most scenes. There's a there's an inflation. People get really to start participating, but then it deflates again, and just the big ones remain. You know, the big fish that maintain sort of like enough of a fan base and, and that kind of stuff. The to ones survive. that get to suckle uh, against the atheist organization's ample teats. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, I I think from. What we have now is 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 the fact that okay in in those the big fish they get support the conferences get support there are people there that are supporting it but I feel like to some degree that's not necessarily the way that everybody should throw their support because I feel like it's just the same old same old and I don't feel like it actually speaks to or attracts other people I guess my hope would have been like if you would have told me what the ideal situation was I would have basically identified myself almost as the pastoral equivalent to uh to in atheism where i'm saying like i'm going around spreading the godless word trying to uh deconvert anyone and what's that worth and had it been a religious uh you know had i started a religious organization if i would have asked the same question i would have gotten a different answer and that's not to denigrate anybody in the scene and say like you are individually cheap that's not that's not what i'm suggesting i'm just suggesting that the people trying to spread nonsense have much more financially invested in that nonsense than we do in sense, common sense, and fucking reality, and in the people that spread that reality. Like we're not as we're not as devoted, because that's not our nature. I'm all I'm suggesting though is the fact that we we may see a few more losses in the scene 
I'm, I'm, I may not be the only one. Like, I still feel like to some degree we're not being honest about our true size, scope, and uh, specifically political influence. I think that the galvanization of the religious right has made all of us weaker because they're much stronger. And now they have the ability to rally, and we don't. And we don't play by their rules. So we lose. You know, I feel like we're, we're, we're trying to think to ourselves, no, like if we over over long periods of time, reason will reign, reason will prevail. And I mean, like there's no history, there's no evidence in history that that's true. Look at the ancient Ionians. Reason prevailed there. They're gone. Their culture is gone. <laughs> replaced by a culture of people who didn't have the same concerns. And the many other people who kept replacing them, it also had different concerns as well. Like rationality, that's not really... A huge concern in most people's lives, and and that think that's a, that's part of the unfortunateness of it all. And I and I think that it's a small reason, let's say, why where I'm like I don't see the future in this, because here's the thing: like when a pastor leaves what he does, does he have a future? Like what he like if you're a pastor and you lose your faith, you can't quit because you don't have any marketable skills, dude. What are your fucking marketable skills? You're a master of nonsense. You might be able to become a social worker. And... It's quite difficult from everything I've heard, especially with people who have a particular mortgage at a particular price. You know what I mean? Like that they uh, decided to go that route, decided to follow all the rules, and now they're fucked. And they have to work at the job that they don't like, spreading fucking nonsense. Well, that that guy won't have anything left at the end of it. Now, even if I tried working my fucking ass off the truth is, if it did collapse, which there's always a possibility that it did, I would be really fucked. Like, there, I, what skills could I trade in? That's pretty frightening, if you think about it. Because, again, let's look at it from the perspective. What I do is not recognized as having any value. At least in, in the sort of standard way, right? Like, banks don't recognize this. This is not a business. This is just sort of like your artistic creativity. Sure. Well, um, you can't go over and say to someone, an employer, when you're trying to say build your uh, career at, say, a much later age, which is always frightening, and say, my uh, qualifications are that I used to talk out of my ass and get paid money for it. It's very difficult to uh, to get a job with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you do have to kind of play by the rules. And and I, I think I would have been more hopeful if, if if things had looked a little bit more up, where I could have seen myself taking that risk but really when it boiled down to sort of making the choices between saying I want to have in the future a family and be the able and have the ability to do this in a world where the middle class is shrinking <laughs> and I'm increasingly looking like I'm going to be the poor uh you know I have to fight against those pressures myself like I don't want a crappy future for a family I might as well not have one at that point and that's that's kind of a depressing uh, thought not being able to have a future because or family because I'm so fucking broke, it's scary, and I can't support myself. So, mm. Those are the cold, cold facts. Well, it's a depressing show, sad show. It's not going to go in the best of. It was the one that I needed to sort of like come out and let people know, the, at least. The, the explanation show. Yeah, I think that's fair. The, the State explanation of the Union show. show. State of the Union. But here's, here's what I'm saying, uh, number one, is that I do... Uh, I, I don't want to make it seem like as though I have never been grateful for the support that you guys have offered. Like, I really don't want that to be the impression. Like, it was a hard decision specifically because 
I felt like I was abandoning you guys, like to the, to what the scene is like now, <laughs> which I don't want to do because I just think it's lame. I'm like, I don't want to leave you in this lame scene, but uh, yeah. See ya. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and two, the the response from everyone has been, you know, almost universally positive, saying I'm really sad, but I understand. And I think that this is just because we live in the Great Recession. Every, I, I don't think anyone can blame me by saying less than $500 a month is not enough for a man to survive. Uh, ideas alone don't do it. That, that's, that's a recipe for homelessness. And, uh, and, and, and lastly, <laughs> on a more positive note, I do want you guys to communicate a little bit more in terms of what you'd like those remaining shows to be. Because, because they are such fan service and because I'm sort of like petering it out m- more slowly... That gives me a little bit of time to really actually research some as- some elements of shows that maybe you'd like. Like, I know that one of them that I have to do because it's been asked again and again is on Buddhism. I will do a show on Buddhism. But you realize it's like, you know, two weeks of research, right? <laughs> but I'm going to do that one because, uh, you know, I've always wanted to do it, but I just never could arrange to have that much time to actually just say I'm, I'm only going to fucking study this because it's... I studied it a little bit, but I really want to get to the thick of it, you know, like the same way that I've, I've been able to do with most of the other religions. So that's one of them that I'm going to take care of. But the rest, I really would love if they were fan-driven, like suggestions from you guys. I'm going to try to do as much as possible to, you know, make sure that you're not too pissed either. So. Uh, give them your email so they can email you for you can, mailbag yeah. and for suggestions. For mail, we, we might as well just start collecting for the mailbag whenever the mailbag's going to be. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we'll start collecting for the mailbag. So you can send me an email at jake at thegoodatheist.net. Or, if you don't like that because it doesn't stick in your brain, jacobforte at gmail.com. Either of these two addresses will work. So you can send us your early mailbag questions, which will, again, be one of those mailbag questions that we do and answer guaranteed. Unless, of course, it's, like, really dirty or disgusting or personal. We've answered those in the past. Okay, fair enough. We probably will answer those. Uh, And we will also make sure that we take your suggestions and, and, and make sure that the last shows are really fan driven essentially. And, and as we, as we sort of peter down and I stop doing the free shows, uh, I will probably continue to do a few bonus ones for members only once the new site is up because I owe them very much. They are the ones who've really supported me over the years and I, I don't want to snub them. You know, I, I kind of want them to move over to my new projects if I can entice them to do so. And I think that, uh, Doing, you know, making sure that I satisfy their podcast needs for as long as I possibly can hold out will uh, will be my mission. Going to work hard at it, but remember, folks, I am going back to the nine to five world. Yep, it's a terrifying prospect. <laughs> I think it'll be good for you. Yeah, it'll give me more structure, I suppose. Definitely could use more structure. It'll build you up. I mean, to a certain degree, I feel like you're you're kind of burnt out by the whole thing, and you know, we've been we've been trucking along trying to make this shit work for years and years and years and years and at a certain point and I felt the same in the stuff that I do when it's not working out and it's it's causing you you problems in your life because you're not making enough to I mean money is money isn't just money is money is opportunity you, no, you need you need it to do anything basically yeah. if you're if you're not making enough then life becomes untenable because you don't have the resources to, to, to basically do anything, to, to eat, to have shelter, to be able to uh, interact with friends in any kind of social environment. To fucking relax, which, is a, which is a big thing. So, you know, after a certain point, 
when things have been kind of on the edge for so long, you start getting burnt out about it. And you can maybe get resentful of of what you're doing because it's causing you nothing but pain. But I still think that after a while, you'll be feeling better. And maybe we'll be able to entreat you to do some more. It's true. I could pull like a retirement thing like share, you know, quit every fucking few years and announce a comeback and then quit again. I don't want it to really be share though. <laughs> I'd only come back if I knew that I had a good hundred shows that could come out of me because otherwise it's just a big cock tease. It's like, come on now, come back and just leave. I mean, at least you should sort of like be a legend. I don't want to go out like all those aging fucking athletes to sort of try to come back and have a horrible career. No, I understand. It's like when I when I retired from DJing, uh, I mean, there's always the temptation to go back, but you don't want to be one of those lame guys. It's like, why can I quit? And then you just come back because you got offered something or something like that. And you just you got to stick with your guns on certain things. And if you're serious about stopping, then uh, then you're serious about stopping. Take uh, take some time away. And, and to a large degree, I mean, you know it, uh, when I stepped away from DJing, I learned more about music in the next few years than I had from the 10 that I DJed, because I stepped away from making the sausage and just kind of got into the general aspects of it. So who yeah. knows what uh, what this will bring about as far as personal change and and just your intellectual growth when you're able to kind of spread your wings out. I mean, truth be told, I don't think a lot of people are overly shocked about the decision because it was a little bit wobbly uh, over the past like couple of months as far as the number of shows that oh, yeah. would be coming out and stuff like that. And often, you know, I'd be ribbing on you because it's a lot of personal journey stuff or science stuff and not a lot of atheism red meat. So... It's just, well, it, it stopped being the thing that I felt most fascinated with. You know, it's just because I, I would like to ask questions beyond atheism. But this is also why I feel like the, the Bible stories makes the most sense. Because I always agreed with Pendulet on the fact that if you want an atheist, make them read the Bible. But what is the limitation of the Bible? Well, never, the, the first and most obvious limitation of the Bible is the fact that it's often inaccessibly worded right like most copies that you have either it's even if it's the, the standard revised version they'll still always try to throw old words in there to confuse the shit out of you and basically to bore you like there's no better way than to to hide information than in a bunch of other useless pointless long droning information and Ezekiel begat right which is like the book of numbers which is basically the, like the most monotonous fucking book of the bible oh, by but, the way kill the gays and then uh, <laughs> Saget begat Vizzle butt. <laughs> I think that's Deuteronomy. But anyways, or no, that's Leviticus. Anyways, the 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 thing about you know the 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 Bible itself is that it should be understood, but not the way that it's been presented. Like one of the things that I found through my research for the book is the fact that it's really hard for you to to to, to distinguish between what is historically true. And what is someone, and what is a historian saying in order to make history fit the Bible? And it happens a lot more often than you think. In fact, that's what was happening throughout all the Middle Ages. And that's been going on for a very, very long time, you know. And so when I read books on it, I have to cross-check all of that with our modern historical knowledge because it's been heavily influenced over the past with this need to make it, make it fit. That's what everybody wants it to do. They want it to fit. They're like, the Bible is history. We want it to be history. And of course, it is not. It's not history. I can guarantee you that. But what it is, 
and I think and I hope that this is what the book will eventually convey. What it is is a kind of um it's like elements from all of these other cultures that you probably never even fucking heard of and borrowed or mostly stolen and set in a new way. Like remember the story of Moses in the basket? Remember that when he's put in a basket because you know the all the first males are going to be killed and then he's found by the nameless pharaoh's daughter and then he becomes a a kind of royalty. Well, Sounds legit. Okay, well, this story is actually the reverse story of Sargon of Agad, which was an Assyrian king that took over, like, this is basically the Assyrians became the Babylonians, if you want. So you have this ancient king who has a legend about him, and many elements of those legends are essentially ripped off and, uh, you know, amalgamated into the story of Moses. So when you understand all these other kind of plagiarized versions of other tales you kind of realize that this is this is a bit of a history book of those ancient cultures in a sense they've maintained some of those traditions or changed them and that's what i find is kind of like fascinating interesting and it also removes all the power that the bible has all of it because if you if you start considering it as history then you've already lost and i think that the key to making a great book about the bible and bible stories is not just telling you what the stories are but also suggesting what they're really supposed to represent like what does the calf in the in 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 the golden calf represent? Where do those images come from? You know, it's just where where does the unicorn come from? You know, there's a whole long history of where these animis, the mystical animals come from, mistranslations and other historical uh, elements that have long been forgotten. But all of it is important and relevant to essentially dissect and completely obliterate the 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 Bible as a source of anything other than a curiosity, which is what it should be. A fucking historical curiosity, and I hope that that's kind of like this is why I'm saying that the it, it's my swan song in the fact that I want everyone who's ever not read the Bible for reasons that should be obvious to anyone because it's boring <laughs> will be able to feel confident in any discussion and essentially be just as educated as your fucking you know or more educated so than your fucking pastor that's giving you shit. That's what I want. I want you to carry around that book, hit people with it with some knowledge <laughs> and I feel ready to write that book I mean I know exactly what I'm looking for I know all the criteria I know where to look and I've already started you know m much of the Bible stories has already been written and, and, and now I just need to make sure that it's got some fucking awesome history in it and my characteristic style I think it's going to be awesome I, I, I'm actually really looking forward to taking a break from Good Atheist just to work on the book honestly I, I don't think I can do both and uh and if I don't get the book out of the way, then I'll feel like a fucking failure. So, <laughs> case dismissed. The book's getting done. I don't know how long it's going to take, though. <laughs> You're no looking forward to that in five years. Yeah. No, come on. I at least hope that in the, in the next year I can save up enough money that if I really wanted to take some time off a few months after I finished all my research, I could do that. I would really hope that that's possible. And I know that there's still a few people that have said out there that they'll continue to support me. Those few people out there, I definitely appreciate, especially at this time. The transition is not easy. Uh, I am mucho in detto. But I appreciate what all you guys have done, and I'll try to make sure that we're going to give you content uh, in this coming year as much as I can give it. But, yeah, we're, we're walking away from the patronage model, everybody. <laughs> walking away. 2012 is the end. Baby Jesus will have won. But don't worry. We'll all be raptured up soon, right? <laughs> Maybe I will, but not you. You will. 
Whatever. I'm totally raptured. Look at me. They want me up in heaven. I can just fucking be the bullhorn for their bullshit. I mean, at that point, if it's real, yeah, you gotta sort of like... Yeah, this, this, is what, this is what I wanted to ask. Uh, any thought about uh, switching over and going on Fox News and renouncing everything and uh, giving giving yourself up to Jesus and his everlasting love? I don't think there'd be enough publicity to you make it. You gotta pull an SE cup. Yeah. Well, an SE cup before everyone was like, hey, SE cup, we see what you're about to do. And she was like, <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll try for a Templeton Prize at the same time. Yeah, pull a dumb whammy. We can make $1.7 million just from that, where I can start pretending that science and religion are compatible. Okay, I got an idea. You could start a super church, make it really yeah, big, I like and it. then uh, everybody will find out about your hypocrisy because you're doing meth off a gay hooker's anus. And then I can go right back to atheism. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Tell them that it was all a big ha- ruse, man. I hadn't really thought much past no. the, the, the gay meth uh, asshole thing. I got stuck on that. I guess that's where your mind was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should leave on a high note, because that's probably the funniest thing that we're going to say all show. All right, with that, my name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody.